Welcome to the Thrive and Shine Wellness Podcast. I am your host, Sabrina Orkies. So this week we have a really episode, a really good episode that I'm excited about. Um, it's a soft, sensitive subject for me, and that is getting my daughter to eat healthy. And I know many people around me can relate to that in so many ways, just from talking to clients and friends and it's just it's just really hard because kids are kids and they have you know their own ways. Most of them are picky, um, and then you know we beat ourselves up as parents, you know, knowing that they should be eating you know better foods for them to help them grow and have healthy bodies, and you know they just want the junk, and a lot of that is keeping the junk out of your house, and that's hard also. It's just what we've all, for the most part, grown up around, having it in our houses, so it's only natural for us to have it in our houses for our kids as well. They just love junk. Most junk is easier because it's prepackaged. Um, I think in today's age, we definitely have healthier packaged items for our kids. It's just a matter of getting them to try it. So this week um, on the podcast, I have Amelia Sherry. She is um, a pediatric registered um, dietitian, and she um, kind of gives us a different take on the approach to getting our kids to like eat different foods, um, and a different approach to even just like feeding our kids, whatever. So she, um, one thing we talked about in the episode is the bingo box. And I think that that's super popular for a lot of my friends. Um, my daughter right now is currently stuck on eating Lunchables. So we send that a lot (laughs) and it's easy. I hate to admit it, but it is. So she just takes that a lot. I mean, I have no shame, you know, I preach what I preach, but you know, when it comes to my kid, it's just like, Oh, whatever is going to make our lives easier. And I think most of us can relate to that. So, um, but the bit go box, I really do love because you can put, I let, um, actually my daughter pack her own. So she puts little stuff and I kind of make sure she has like a fruit or some sort of protein. I mean, she might not, she's not a big meat eater, so I don't try to force that on her. And that's one thing that Amelia talks about in the episode is not forcing kids to eat something that they don't like. And as a child growing up, I think a lot of people can relate to that. I was forced to eat my vegetables. I was forced to eat every single thing on my plate at night or I was not going out to play afterwards. And, you know, it absolutely killed me. And I remember the the fights and the crying and all of that. And, and I, we don't get that deep into those fights like with my daughter. We just kind of are like, you know, eat a few more bites. But Amelia in this episode gives a really good outlook on why we shouldn't do that. But, um, you know, my daughter is has always been very skinny, was, you know, underweight as a baby for most of her life. Still, I'm sure is probably underweight. Not nothing to be worried about, but so I'm constantly like, eat, eat, eat. And I think my husband feels the same way. And her grandparents, you know, we just want her to eat and have the energy, but she's a snacker. And when I stop and think about it, I'm a snacker. I've always been a snacker. I eat every two hours, whether it's a snack or a meal, I eat every two hours. I've done that for so much of my life. And that's just how I am. I'm a I think my metabolism has stayed pretty fast because of that. I just eat when I'm hungry. I listen to my body and I eat. And and when I think about it, that's kind of what she does. So now I'm struggling with 
oh, do I want to force her to finish her food? When you hear what Amelia has to say, I think um, your eyes will open and you're going to be like, oh, it's a completely different way of looking at it because we have, there's so many issues, especially with girls in general. I know that it's in boys and men and women also, but you know, you have the girls who see the social media, um, you know, the influencers who are so perfect and everything is so perfect looking in their lives. And, you know, there's body image around that and how they want to look that way. And we have to worry about our girls when it comes to that. And for me, it's a very scary thing to think about. I never had issues, but I can't say for, you know, I, I probably in my teen, teenage years and on, even though I've always been a smaller person, there wasn't those times that I didn't think, oh my gosh, I'm fat, you know? <laughs> you know, looking back, we're like, oh, I wish I was that fat. <laughs> Can I go back to being that fat? But, you know, it's and it takes a lot, a lot, a lot to overcome. And I'm so thankful that there's so many people out in the world on social media now who are trying to um, put body appreciation and body acceptance out into the world. For me, it's about feeling good. And I want our kids, our girls to know that what they eat makes them feel good. You know, you want to eat things that are going to make you feel good. I know my body, if I load up with a bunch of sugar, I am super tired. Um, I feel it in my joints. I feel everything. I'm super inflamed and stiff. I just feel it. I feel like crap. I literally, most of the time I feel like I have a hangover or something. Um, and that's just what happens because I'm, I eat such good foods all the time that when I binge, it's bad. So it's a, it's a fine line with, um, teaching our kids and making sure that we don't say things in front of them, which is, you know, super hard for a lot of people because our kids watch every single thing that we do and it's just hard. But anyway, so I really hope that you all enjoy the episode and I I mean I took a lot out for myself and for my daughter and I just I hope that you all enjoy Amelia's um discussion with me. Um she counsels parents on how to help resolve food and eating issues within families and children. So she also not only helps children but she helps moms as well. Um, so I think that's cool. She kind of has two different aspects to her business. And um, so I hope that you all can benefit from it. And if you, um, you can always reach out to her if you have any questions. If you have any questions for me, you can always reach out to me as well. I do want to let you all know that I have something super cool and special coming up. If you're not in my Facebook group, it's absolutely free. Um, it is Thrive and Shine um, Healthy Lifestyle Group. Thrive John Wellness Healthy Lifestyle Group. Um, I'm going to have um, something coming up, not this week, but next. So I want you to go ahead and tell your friends, anybody you can. Um, it's going to be a, a cool free thing that I'm going to offer everyone that's in the group. Um, also, I've been posting lots of recipes in there. So lots of rec- healthy recipes. So if you're not in the group, I suggest getting in the group and checking it out. There's a lot of discussion and a lot of um, help in there. So I hope that you all enjoy the episode and have a great week. Hey, Amelia, how are you today? I'm great. Thank you, Sabrina. How are you? I'm good. I'm excited for our conversation today. So something that I struggle with that you specialize in 
is getting our kids to eat nutritious foods. We stress and stress and stress about it. And you are amazing at helping parents with this struggle. So I want you to go ahead and start from the beginning. Tell us about your journey, um, working your way into this field. That's something that you're passionate about. So we want to hear all about it. Um, yeah, sure. First, I'd love to start by telling you that my um, approach is to help parents not stress and to help them understand that they don't need to stress about food in the way that we commonly hear and um, all the pressure that we're under to get our kids to eat in a certain way is really not necessary. So we can get to that more um, at the end. But yeah, I'm a pediatric nutritionist and I got here through a long, long route as far as, I know you asked me earlier about my own childhood with food. Um, I grew up in a household with lots of home-cooked meals. I had an Italian mom. We ate really well. As I went through puberty and got older, I got very focused on my weight and started down a very common route, I think, for many girls and an increasing number of boys and um, non-gender or binary kids as well. Um, which is, yeah, just to, I got really fell victim to diet culture and just even internalized a lot of that pressure to look a certain way. So I spent many years dieting and in disordered eating over exercising. I eventually found myself working in women's magazines, writing about fitness and health and nutrition. Um, and then I took it even further and went to school, uh, to become a dietitian as sort of like a second career. And, um, I regret it so much. It stole so much of my attention. I think about all the hours, <laughs> days and months, and even years I spent counting calories, working out, just wearing events. I avoided, um, just low self-esteem, all these different things. Um, if I could change that, I would. So I, my, my mission is to help moms and parents in general, protect their own um, daughters and sons and children in general from falling prey to that pressure that's out there. Um, at some point after I, um, I guess after I recovered from my disordered eating history, I did that a lot with intuitive eating. So I discovered intuitive eating in my late twenties. And, um, I really used that to get back in touch with my body. I gave myself a lot of permission around food, get back in touch with my body. By that, I mean my internal signals of hunger and satiety. I, um, I recovered a lot of, um, my own body awareness and body trust. It was wonderful. Then when I, things changed for me when I got married and, um, was living with my, you know, my husband and sharing meals with him, I didn't have as much freedom around food. Like, um, it's a longer story, but I think anyone who's gone on this journey may, will understand what I'm saying. You know, I, I, when you do intuitive eating, you are um, really following your desires and at the whim of everything. If something looks good, you eat it. If you don't, you know, if you want to eat this time, you eat it, which is wonderful after years and years of restriction. But when you're sharing meals with someone else, eating more on a schedule, and then when you bring children into the mix, it's very challenging. So at that point, I discovered. Um, Ellen Satter's work. And Ellen Satter is a dietitian and a social worker. So she has this, um, she's like a family therapist. So she has this background in nutrition and eating and feeding dynamics um, and family dynamics. She And she's put those together 
and she has lots of very positive approaches to eating that I help families incorporate into their um, daily lives all the time. So that's pretty much it in a nutshell. <laughs> I love it though. So many parents can relate to this. As I was telling you earlier, I have so many friends and we all struggle because we want them to eat healthy, but they're so picky. And I just feel like there's so much junk around that is there to influence them. Um, with my daughter, you know, I eat healthy, but she does not eat healthy. I mean, every once in a while when she was in daycare, I do feel like they um, fed her pretty well. Like she would eat her vegetables, but she was also sitting there with her peers, her other friends at the same table and they were eating. And I think the same, that those things, and I think that that played a huge part in it. And I've always said that if her friends are eating that she's more likely going to eat it, but she does not eat it for us. How many times have you came across that with uh, your clients, kids? Um, well, a lot of children do go through that. There's different <laughs> developmental stages where, um, well, pickiness gets heightened or like um, children basically are using the no or refusing. They're sort of exerting yes. their power um, and their individuality at, it happens at the table. There's other times as kids get older that peer influences become really important, eight, nine, 10, 11. And then kids are more likely to want to eat what their peers are eating. Um, yeah, but I think that um, the important thing to understand is that children come along with their eating as they grow. and the hard part um, is sort of sticking with them as they grow and letting them learn at their own pace, as opposed to trying to exert our will or desires on them and have them eat what we consider to be right or wrong or good or bad or healthy or not healthy. Yeah. Um, what are some like healthy ways that we can do or what are some healthy ways that we can talk to our kids around like food and eating better. Um, and like, I guess like the weight issue, cause you know, I feel like that comes up a lot also with their kids. Yeah. Well, kids weight is pretty, is, um, often determined by genetics and a host of environmental factors as well. And we don't mm -hmm. have as much control over it as we think we can. Parents are highly primed because of culture to be very concerned about their child's weight, whether they perceive it to be going up too quickly, or even when kids aren't eating enough, or they feel that their child isn't putting on weight quickly. But it's really important to um, accept your child's body for what it is and to pull back any sort of um, <laughs> sort of impulse that we have to control their weight, because we know from which in turn means control their eating. We know from research that the more we interfere with children's eating, the more it goes off the tracks and the, pretty much the more disordered or dysfunctional it can potentially become. Um, so as long as your child is following their growth curve for height, weight, and BMI, then they're doing really, really well. We don't need to interfere. If it is, if their child's, um, and if you need more information about growth curves and understanding them, that's part, part of my work. You can contact me or I can um, come on again and talk about it or provide mm -hmm. information in the notes for the show. Um, if your child's coming up 
up off their curve or below and you have concern, then it's very important you can to talk about it with the pediatrician or to contact a pediatric nutritionist who can help evaluate. We really want to avoid ever talking about a child's weight to the child directly or even referring to our own body weight mm. because it is literally in research shown that when we focus on weight or talk about weight or link eating with weight or activity with weight for children, that it leads to disordered eating behaviors around food. And we want to avoid that um, at all costs because that can spin off into a direction that can um, either be harmful for the rest of their lives or even get worse and be, you know, very, very like a significant problem and a full-blown eating disorder. Oh yeah. I could totally see that. I mean, the whole thing with, um, I did an episode on my friend's podcast on body image. And the big thing was, um, how, what, how we treat ourselves. Like, what do we say to ourselves that our kids are hearing? I am very thankful. And I have been on a very, very long journey, but I'm finally at peace with my body and my eating habits. And, um, I think I never, I have never said a word in front of my daughter. Um, and, and I don't even say those things out loud. You know, I just, I just don't. And I'm very thankful because I know a lot, I have a lot of friends that do. Um, it's hard. It's really hard not to, especially when it's something that we've always done. It's hard to break that habit. It's hard to be happy with ourselves. Um, there's so much around diet culture and all the things. So I think that that is a huge, huge topic. How could we protect our kids from diet culture? What is something or some things that we could put in place besides watching what we say and do in front of them? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think it's important. One thing I just want to mention, um, I think more moms and dads included are becoming aware that we don't want to talk negatively about our yes. own bodies because then we give our children inadvertently the message that the way they look is really important and that they need to focus on that. Um, but what I just want, and it sounds like you've covered that in other episodes. Um, but what I wanted to add is that if you do slip up here and there, it's okay. This is always a process and we're moving along, right? Um, because I know, even though I am fully cognizant of all the research on yes. it, um, I, you know, I, I don't necessarily refer to my own body negatively, but I might go out of my way yeah. to be like, oh, you look so cute today, or that looks so great on you, or I love your hair. And then I bite my tongue, and be like, oh, why, why did, you know, why did I say that? And it's okay. Those are nice things to say. I think the important thing is to follow up with lots of other compliments that are not um, related to our appearance and are more focused on our child's, you know, abilities, their gifts, their sense of humor, um, their whatever else that is important to them or any strengths you see. So if you do slip up and point out something about their way they look, you can always um, run in there with a lot of other comments, you know, and outweigh it about, again, their abilities and their strengths and things like that. Uh, as far as protecting girls from diet culture, this is a, a really important way to do it is to de-emphasize looks and to promote the other the things that you do value, you know, the, mm -hmm. the um, skills your child has, the interests they have, the effort they put into things. Um, so emphasizing those things and de-emphasizing appearance and understanding that um, being realistic about it as well. So what I mean by that is if your child is focused on their appearance, 
Um, we don't want to just deny and say, oh, no, 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 you look fine. Or, oh, no, 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 that's not important. It is, I believe it's important to, yes, acknowledge that the pressure is out there um, and also acknowledge that, but your family or you personally do not um, share that perspective and that um, you value other things. So it's good to point out that it is out there. Um, but it's not necessarily right. And it's not something that your family focuses on when you think about how much you love each other and what, you know, again, the things that you value. So that's another tip. As far as, um, I bet you're wondering about food specifically mm-hmm. too, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> um, Tell us all the things. <laughs> so one, um, so so I'm not sure where to start. One tip would be to avoid making um, foods have virtues. So we don't want to say this is healthy and this is not oh, healthy or this yes. is good and this is bad. When we do that, we set up our children for very a lot of internal conflict about food because when we deem something bad or sinful mm-hmm. or off limits or only a treat, it's only special, like say, for example, Um, a piece of cake or cookies or something in a package that we might have negative feelings or attitudes towards. It doesn't make those foods taste any less delicious and we still want them and crave them. And in many cases, we're still going to eat them. But when we, we do that um, for our children, we're, they, we're basically setting them up to feel bad about themselves, to feel guilt, to feel shame, um, to second guess their desires and their appetites. Ooh, this is bad. Then why do I want it? And we don't want that for our children. We don't want them to have negative feelings. We're enjoying, you know, sugary and fatty foods are delicious and they're part of life. They're often part of celebrations and things like that. So we don't want to, um, set that up and, and it's, we don't want to set up that good and bad, um, uh, sort of very binary, situation for them. Yes. Which is, yeah, that's exactly what I preach to my clients. And I struggle so bad when I word things because I try to not use those words like bad. Uh, that's that's, have a cheat meal. I hate that. I hate it so (laughs) much. I'm like, we cannot call it these things, but it's hard to, even for me to rewire my brain and for them to rewire their brains to not think that. Um, so I try to, I don't know, maybe you can help <laughs> use, I try to say like less nutritious food, you know, kind of thing. I don't know. I struggle with wording those because that's how I want them to think too. These things are not bad, you know, I mean, they are bad technically, but you know what I mean? Like not to have that in our brains. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I would argue that all foods, that there is really no bad foods. Yeah. Yes, some foods have more, say, vitamins and minerals in them. Yeah. But a piece of cake or cookies um, is also what we call energy dense from a like a um, nutrition per, um, perspective, meaning there's tons of calories in it. Yes, some of the mm-hmm. calories come from fat. Well, hey, you know what? We need calories to get yes. through the day. And if you think of someone who doesn't have enough food, those calories are hugely valuable. Mm-hmm. So what I work on a lot with families and through my my Nourisher Well program and um, through a lot of the writing and education I do is trying to shift people's attitudes towards foods and, and understand that all foods do, do have nutrition and value in them. Um, as a parent, when you're providing meals for your child, you use um, what Alan Satter calls 
good sense, meaning you're going to plate and offer a balance of foods because you know, yes, we need calcium. Yes, we need fat. Yes, we need fiber. And you're going to try to balance your the plates and the food that you offer um, to whatever extent you can with what you have available. Um, and that's where you're going to, you can also roll in some of these what some people would consider treat or off limit foods, maybe the higher sugar foods um, or the higher fat foods. Mm -hmm. Um, But from there, then we let our children really discover and learn on their own, which ones they enjoy, which ones they want to eat more or less. And we leave it at that. So we do want to give them experience with these foods and let them figure out on their own, which ones um, they really enjoy, which ones they want to eat more of and which ones they want to eat less. Mm-hmm. Um, what I, what I'm dancing around and haven't explained is this theory that we use in, I use in my practice, many pediatric nutritionists use, which is called the division of responsibility. Have you ever heard of that? No. Okay. So, um, the division of responsibility is becoming more and more popular. It was actually, it's from Alan Satter, this woman that I keep referring to, who is also a, a, a profound researcher. So all these ideas she comes up with, she has a lot of research behind them. So this is a model that, um, I teach parents to use and it was, um, not, I don't want to say, de- uh, discovered, but it was first, um, started to be utilized, I think in the 80, in the 80s. So it's been around for a while. It's experiencing um, a resurgence right now. You, you can see a lot of it on social media. I don't think it's always impl- applied exactly correctly, mm-hmm. um, but I'll give you the basics. It, it divides a responsibility between parent and child with feeding. So the parent is responsible for all the feeding parts of the meal, meaning the parent decides what is going to be offered. And that's where you're going to use your good sense and do as a balanced meal to the best that you can. Um, you're going to decide when, so and you're going to decide where. And then the child is going to do all of the eating parts, meaning the all decide how much or how little, and even if they want to eat at all. And the mm. reason for this is because those parts of eating are really defined by body and we we want to, children are born, we're all born with an ability to internally regulate our intakes, meaning we eat as much or as little as we need to feel full and to to get the energy we need for the day, right? We can't really um, define how much or how little that is for children. I know this is the opposite of what we ever hear over and over with portion sizes um, and things like that. But truth be told, we know from research that children, healthy children can internally regulate very well when there's little or no interference from parents. So when they're, when the parent just does the job of offering the food regularly and reliably, mm-hmm. um, the children, the child then does a very, an excellent job regulating how much or how little they need. Um, wow. so, yeah. So what we don't want to do is cross the line. So, which is what many of us do yes. and many of our parents did to us, right? We want to avoid telling our child, could you please eat more? You didn't eat enough. Or, hey, whoa, slow down. You've had too much. The reason that we want to avoid doing that is because that teaches the child to take information from outside their body to determine how much or how little. And if it's not in alignment with what they're actually feeling, again, a lot of conflict arises. Mm -hmm. And that's where we actually see a a lot of 
And you were asking about weight disturbances early. So what happens is when um, a parent or even an outside force like diet culture, say, applies a restraint or says, please restrain yourself around this food, don't eat so much, don't eat so much, or leads with a kind of fear, um, that usually, it, it usually, a person will become very disinhibited or want to almost overeat those same foods, right? That's mm -hmm. what we, we see results. So some people can restrain themselves or children for um, a few days or a few weeks or a few meals, and they could do it for a long time, some shorter, but ultimately you, I mean, I even feel anxious talking about it when someone tells me, yeah, you know, I even th think maybe your parent or your spouse or your partner is think, thinking in their head, Ooh, you're going to eat more. You just like, right. You want to yeah. <laughs> all yes. of a sudden you're like, give me more. I'm like, um, exactly. so you kind of get the opposite effect. And what, what we, what I see with parents, um, usually as the parent gets concerned because they see their child's weight possibly going, you know, a little higher than they think is normal. And then they start leaning in with all this restraint and the child will respond by eating more because their, their meals are threatened actually. And mm. it, it, it can feel, they might not do it in front of the parent. They might do it when the parent's not looking. Um, or they might just feel the need to do it or, you know, may happen in front of the parent or cause even more conflict, right? Mm -hmm. That happens. Um, that could be one consequence of interfering by saying like, okay, don't eat so much. So we really want to avoid doing that. And I have worked um, in clinical practice in endocrinology and I see the, we see kids with poor growth and the exact same thing happens on the other end of the spectrum. A child perceives their a parent perceives their child's not gaining enough weight mm. and they lean in with pressure. Please eat more. Please have one more. Can you please have another bite or you can't leave the table? And that child um, usually responds by losing their appetite, getting anxious, not wanting to have anything to do with the food. And it, it, you know, has the exact opposite effect of what the parent wanted them to do. Yes, that point, that situation specifically hits home for me because my daughter is very, very skinny. She was always, um, I don't want to say she was like severely underweight, but ever since she was a baby, she has been so tiny. They were always super concerned. I mean, by the time you'll know this because the growth chart, but her goal was to hit 20 pounds at the age of two. I mean, so many of my friend's kids are turning or weighing 20 pounds by the age of one, you know? So um, it was a big deal. And so she's very, a small girl. Um, I feel like she's starting proportion out now with her height and everything, but she's still very skinny. And so I feel like that we are always like that, like finish your food, like, cause she doesn't eat a lot. Like she, I mean, randomly. And sometimes if she does go on the spur of eating a lot, I'm like, oh, well, she must be on or growth spurt or something, but we do try, we are horrible about please eat all of your food because, and two, and tell me if the situation has come up with some of your clients, uh, is that, you know, she will not finish her food and then be hungry in an hour and it's bedtime. And we get so <laughs> frustrated. We're like, oh, so a lot of times we'll give in and like, give her some like crackers, goldfish or something non-sugary, but something easy, but you know, it's, it, mm -hmm. that's a struggle for us personally. Um, yeah, frustrate, um, feeding kids should be called like frustrating feeding. There's a lot yes. of frustration <laughs> with feeding kids. Um, 
But going back to Ellen Satter's model, it's actually called the trust model. So it's Uh. all based on trust. (laughs) Like we need to lead with, I trust you to eat what you need. And your child needs to trust you that you are going to provide food regularly and reliably. And that can help answer your question about, um, so yes, kids who will refuse to eat at the meal and then an hour later ask for food the way that that is very common. Mm -hmm. And the way that we work with that is really trying to set up more structure with the meals. So meaning you only, your child only eats during the mealtime and the snack time, and that you're very consistent to whatever Mm -hmm. extent you can be with your schedule, that these are the eating times and we don't eat outside the eating times. Okay. The way that that helps is your child learns a little, it's, it's a little discipline. So Mm -hmm. your child um, learns that they need to eat and load up and get what they need at the meal because they're not going to eat again for however many hours, you know, it it depends on the child's age and and again, the lifestyle, what's going on, but they need to understand from, um, history and demonstrating them over and over that these are the eating times and you eat what you can and want to and need to then so that you can make it to the next meal or snack. And you'll notice that many kids do this really well between breakfast and lunch because they know at school, there some schools have snacks, some don't, mm-hmm. depends on age, but they learn very quickly, oh, we're not having snack again. You know, now we don't have snack until, and they'll get what they need. Um, at home, there tends to be more flexibility. Mm-hmm. Parents, particularly with say an underweight child will be a little more, flexible because in the back of their mind, they'll have concerns about the child's weight and they might not trust them. Well, they not, didn't eat enough. So I, maybe I should say yes and give in. Um, but I would, I would recommend avoid doing that so that she can learn, okay, they're not messing around and I need to, you know, maybe it's not my favorite at dinner, but that's, you know, that's mm-hmm. the time we have to eat. Um, but yeah, uh, not to say in particular that your situation shouldn't offer a bedtime snack because that is part of what, you know, I do recommend for many kids, depending on timing, yeah. it's all individualized to your family and, and what's going on. Um, but the takeaway tip is that those structured meals or having set times really helps kids with their internal regulation. And that's the way you can feel less stressed. If you just focus on the times and putting the food out. You don't have to micromanage how much and how little they're actually eating, which is a huge relief for most parents. And particularly if you are like the parents I work with and you have a disordered history yourself, trying to manage everything they're eating can feel overwhelming and just make you want to avoid even coming to the table, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So knowing you don't have to get involved in those smaller decisions and you can leave it up to them can be a big relief. Oh yeah. I mean, one of my very best friends actually does do that. She's just like, after dinner, you get nothing else and they know, but they don't get anything else. So it's really awkward when they come to my house and I'm like, (laughs) just give them something or I don't know. Cause I know what your mom does. So 
Um, how can we make mealtime more peaceful? It's always a huge ordeal for everyone I know. Um, some parents cook multiple meals. Um, some, you know, what will they do? Um, have their kids cook their own meal, you know, um, just different scenarios that happen. How can we make it more peaceful, less stressful and have more connection during family time? Great question. Yeah. Um, it's a great question because just having meals together shows so many benefits for children. Um, and I'm sure for adults as well. Um, so keeping that time peaceful and positive is really important. Um, so one, one idea is to really take off having an agenda for the meal. Um, and so, Again, if you can plan out some meals that hit maybe three notes, a protein, a starch, and a vegetable, um, or a fruit, fruit and vegetable interchangeably, um, and just put get that out on the table and then avoid having an agenda in terms of how much or how little your child eats of each food, it will take so much stress off of you. And I recommend that because it's in line with the division responsibility, right? You're going to do your job and show up to the table with a meal, a balanced meal, fairly balanced, whatever you could do. And you're going to avoid um, micromanaging your child's plate. Um, That can take off so much stress. I um, heard a tip, not like, I don't know, a few years ago, and I love it. I can't remember where I heard it from, but this is a little idea of keeping your eyes up and off your child's plate. So Stop looking down at everything that they're eating or not eating or what they're reaching for or um, what they're not reaching for and really just be there and enjoy their company. Um, It can make the meal so much more pleasant. And um, there are a lot of nuances to the division responsibility um, that come into play that we didn't, we're not going to be able to get into now, but it does differ for ages. Mm -hmm. Um, And also we want to do something called catering or being considerate without catering. So I don't recommend making multiple meals, but I do recommend having at least one thing on the table that your child can eat mm-hmm. with like we say confidently or comfortably. So you don't want to present them with a table full or plate full of foods that they've never seen or that you oh. know that they can't mm-hmm. get down without um not necessarily complaining, but say um, if they're entirely new to them, that's just too much of a stretch. You're putting too much pressure on them to, you know, to eat. But if you want to put out some new foods and then have some bread or some pasta or some rice, because many kids eat the starches very comfortably. Mm-hmm. Some of them love their cut veggies and they just need that or some fruits and that they're comfortable with. Um, that can also take the stress off of you and of them because there's something there that they enjoy. And if you know you don't need to micromanage what they do eat, then you can also relax a bit. How does this sound to you though? What are you thinking as I'm saying this? Oh, I think it sounds great. I love this. I love all of this. I could totally see us incorporating. The bad thing about us is that we don't sit down together much as a family. I hate to admit it, but um, a friend of mine just told me the other day, I just learned this about her is that that's the thing that she does. She sits down every single night with her family. She has three kids. They sit down for dinner every single night together. And I thought it was the most precious thing because it's so unheard of these days. We're so busy. We're always running around doing things and people just don't have time. And she's just like, that's our time to come together as a family, sit and talk 
and just be together. And I just thought that was so amazing. But one thing that I was thinking about too, while you were talking is something that I just recently bought for my daughter is a Bento box for the lunch. Um, have, you know what I'm talking about? So I think that she mm-hmm. loves a, that ben- a Bento box. Oh right? yeah. Yeah. Okay. I was like, Bento. I think it's Bento. Okay. Yeah. So yes, that, um, and it has all the little different compartments in it. And I think she loves that because it keeps her interested in a bunch of different like little things. You can sneak a bunch of like healthier items, you know, in there that like she might not probably eat if she got a school lunch or something. So, uh, yeah, I was thinking about those when you were saying portion it out, like have several options of things, things that she also likes, but, you know, something that she might not be so crazy about. Yeah. So the two things you just talked about, one, the family meals, the difference between um, just going out there and me just talking like, or just with you or one way street um, is that I don't get to actually hear what's going on in everyone's family. So family meals can be like a big stretch for people. So when you're working, when I'm working with a family one-on-one, we really start where you're at. So you don't expect you, okay, now you have to have family dinner every single night, but we might want to increase it to one meal a night, you know, if that is something. And that you do, um, you know, you are in agreement with and real do think would help your family. So wherever you're at with that, just thinking about how you can um, increase it a little more, you know, maybe you want to talk about just one aspect, like I'm not going to comment as much, or maybe you want to talk about, I'm just going to try and have a family meal on a weekend or one night a week. So mm-hmm. don't feel like everything has to get revamped all at once. Um And then as far as the bento box, I absolutely love that idea. It is very helpful. I recommend it for many of the families I work with, particularly for like younger kids. Mm -hmm. The reason is that if you do put a mix of foods in your child's lunch, some of their favorites, (laughs) some of them aren't, they're not... Um, going to go and open every single little package, which they, I know parents go through painstakingly, like yes. um, great lengths to painstakingly put things together and um, keep it warm or cool and different kinds of easy to open containers. Uh, but kids are really rushed. It's very sad fact, yes. but they're very rushed during um, meals at school. There are Many parents also tell me that their children are really distracted mm-hmm. <laughs> because it's social time as well. Yes. Sometimes they have a choice to run around or to eat. So often oh. one thing gets forgotten or left behind, depending on your child's priorities. So the bento box makes it much faster as well. Your child opens mm-hmm. it up once and everything Already. there is displayed. Right. And yes, it's a perfect way to, to keep a parent on task because for example, I like, I love planet box. It's the one that, um, I use and it has, there's a bigger one and a small one, but there are four, um, like medium sized contain, uh, compartments and one very small one. So it reminds me, okay, I want to put a starch in there, a protein in there, a fruit and a vegetable. And I even add a little sweet in the middle and the um, the little tiny part in the the middle of my particular container. Mm-hmm. Um, and from there, it's the perfect way. Then they just decide. And yes, some days half of the sandwich comes home. Some days all the little tomatoes come home. Some days, you know, it varies, uh, you know, with my children. The other day I put a little piece of chocolate in the middle and that came home, I guess, after Halloween candy 
that even lost its luster oh. for them. So, um, which is fine. It just shows, hey, they've had they've had enough, and it proves that idea of just balance yes. with time. If you are given enough freedom with things, you figure things out on your own. Mm-hmm. And it's um, that is a very challenging concept for many parents that trust with food and offering full permission is is a stretch for many parents, myself included. Yeah, <laughs> you sorry. know that. That is um, something I had to work long and hard on. Um, I still get tripped up with it sometimes. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it is hard. It's a struggle. Well, I have loved all of this information that you have given us, and I think it's going to be so helpful to the listeners and for myself. <laughs> um, do you want to go ahead and plug everything where everyone can reach you if they would like to work with you? I feel like so many people would be interested in this for sure. Sure. Thank you. I have um, two sides of my practice. I have private practice. So I do work with, um, I work both with parents and with moms one-on-one. So you can find me at ameliasherry.com. It's just my um, private practice website. You can learn more about the different um, offerings I have there. And then you can also find me at nourishher.com. So it's nourish. And then the word her, H-E-R. So it's nourisher with two H's.com. And there you can find, I have a free um, a free workshop you can download that has five strategies for protecting girls from diet culture. I have a full program that's a three month long program that is really the second or third step after you do some of these free workshops and see, you know, kind of get a taste of it. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's also, um, articles there and you can find me also on Instagram. If you love Instagram, I'm Amelia Sherry RD. Um, and that's about it. And you can always, anyone's listening. They have questions. My emails all over both of those websites. You can always reach out and ask me questions. I love getting questions, um, particularly for moms. So if you have a question, ask me, ask me, ask me. I'm sure I'll be asking. Don't worry. <laughs> I can't wait to share this episode. It's like, um, I think it's a struggle for every single mom, I would say. I mean, I feel like even if their kid has, you know, pretty good eating habits, it's like something, there's something that you struggle with something out there, you know? So I yeah, really appreciate Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say there the if you take anything away, just acknowledging that the, there is an intense amount of pressure mm-hmm. put on parents and on children to eat in a certain way, whether it aligns with health or weight management. And it's absolutely not necessary and it's very harmful. So if you can just tell yourself, hey, all, all I'm going to do is just lighten up about stuff to whatever extent I can, I think that would be great. And as a nutritionist, I sign off on it. 100%. <laughs> I love it. I love it so much. Well, thank you so, so much. I have one last question. How would, how would you describe the word wellness? How does it apply in your life? Um, what is your take on it? I love the word wellness. Um, and through my program, I talk about eating well-being. So we focus on well-being with eating 100%. And by that, I mean that we focus on eating in a way that supports not just our physical health, which is what the rest of the world is focused on, right? Um, but also our emotional health and our social health. And those play into food so much. Um, and I think it's, um, 
it's high time that we acknowledge that, that we need to eat in a way that supports us emotionally and in our relationships and socially. Um, so wellness, eating wellness or eating well-being is a, a, a what I consider a very therapeutic and supportive approach to health. Yes. Love that. Excellent. Okay. Well, that does it. Thank you so, so much again. I've really enjoyed our conversation more than you know. (laughs) Again, I will be in touch. Thank you so much, Sabrina. I, I enjoyed it too. Hey everyone, I just wanted to pop back in and tell you thank you for listening to this episode. If there is anyone in your life that you think might want to hear this episode, please feel free to share it with them. It will only help my podcast grow. If you could also go and hit the subscribe button, you will get notified every single time a new episode is released. Also, if you'd like to go rate and review if you like the podcast, please feel free to do that and shoot me a message if you do of maybe like a screenshot and I will send you a small token of my appreciation in return. You can connect with me on Instagram at thrive and shine underscore wellness. I also have a Facebook page called thrive and shine wellness. I have a Facebook healthy lifestyle group as well. And the name of that is thrive and shine wellness, healthy lifestyle group. I also have a website. It is www.thriveandshinewellness.org. And if you need to reach me, you can either send me a message through social media or you can email me at info at thriveandshinewellness.org.